0: Again, thank you to Rabbi Kassel for being here and for being our support for all of us uh, for all these years. And we're excited to take what we do to the next level. B'zat Hashem, with the help of God, it's all been the help of God right until this minute. With this house, with everything that's here, and we really believe that with big, big minds, um, big dreams. Like one rabbi once said, "I may be, I may be dreaming, but I'm awake." You know, and it's a it's a it's an important thing for us to dream and be awake, meaning not to be dreaming and you know what, but dreaming and be awake. You know, you're focused and you you dream big, and that's what we do. We want to really take this organization to the next level. And uh, thank you, Chaz, thank you, Kevin, and um, for taking on this new initiative and for the many more. Thank you to all the people that are helping us with the Hanukkah event. And Akharon Akharon Chaviv, thank you to my dear wife for everything she does. Okay, so we are doing Wisdom for Life. We don't have that much time. But I do want to share with you some wisdom, so bear with me. And uh, hopefully you'll leave tonight inspired uh, with something that you can uh, use for life. So, here's a, here's a scenario that can happen. You're in a... You're in a Facebook group, or maybe you don't have Facebook, Instagram group. Is there such a thing? (laughs) No. no. Okay. Okay. Not yet? Uh, There's a chat. Okay. Yeah, maybe that's okay. You can get group chat on Instagram. Someone's going to make a million dollars from that idea. Yeah. No, no. It's not not that kind of thing. So, um, you're on a group chat, and somebody shares a joke that, let's say, Hanukkah's coming up. So, you know the meme? where they say happy Hanukkah but you know Hanukkah in Hebrew is spelt one way but in English it's spelt in multiple ways so you've got the Hanukkah with a -A H-A-N-U double K-A-H then you've got the Hanukkah with a -A C-H-A-N-U-K-A did I just say UK right then you've got you know you've got a whole list of all these different names so you know you know that meme have you ever seen that meme And someone's got like, happy Hanukkah, 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 or whatever it is, you know, happy Hanukkah. So I don't know if you've ever seen a meme or something that you've seen. It's an oldie, right? And someone sends it to you as if it's a newie. And you're like, I've seen that last year. So what do you do? What do you do? So There's always one one dude that ruins the fun, you know, (laughs) spoiler. What does he say? Old, yeah, oldie, do I've seen right. Already. I've seen that already. I've got this picture. That All, says, now, that's what I call the meme. I've seen three times before. Oh, there you go. Now, that's that's the next level. You send another meme answering that meme, how ridiculous that meme was. So, that's that's another whole level. But let's say you're on a date with someone and they tell you that they heard something that you already knew about, like. Did you hear Dave got engaged? And you knew about Dave being engaged, but you know, you're on a date and it's the first thing she tells you. So obviously she's excited to tell you. So what do you do? Right? So naturally with our tendency is to say, oh yeah, I've I've heard that already. And then the other side is like, oh, you know, because they were excited to tell you about something that they really wanted to tell you. What should we do? We shouldn't lie and say, oh my gosh, that's That's the funniest meme I've ever seen in my life. Even though you've seen it for the past 20 years, right? Or, oh my gosh, that's the best news. I've never heard such good news. What should you do? You shouldn't lie, but you shouldn't also say, it's an oldie. I've heard that already. Why? Because that person made the effort to tell you, you're like ruining the excitement. You're like uh, popping their balloon, if, if that's... You the right the way vibe. of saying it. You killed the vibe, right? They were all high, you know, and then you came along and you ruined it. <laughs> so, this is, this is what it says, and I want you to tell me what, this, what you think. Listen to this. This is one of the statements. We're on Mishnah number nine, the ninth statement of the Avot, ethics of a father's wisdom for life. Look what it says. Shimon ben Shatach, and we'll tell you about this. Rabbi himself, Shimon ben Shatach, Shimon, the son of Shatach, used to say, Always investigate the witnesses. Not just always, but increase your investigation with the witnesses. So the basic explanation is you have a court case and there are two witnesses in front of you. Don't just come to conclusions very quickly. Take your time. Investigate each side. There's an argument going on and you're getting pulled in between. Or let's say you're a life coach and you're here to help somebody. Don't just come to conclusions very quickly. Take your time. Let's see both sides. You know, a lot of times when there's an argument, right? Both sides are, ex- are exaggerating the side, right? You, you Especially with marriage with marriage in general, but with other things as well. You go to one side, he says his side of the argument it seems like he's perfect. You go to the other side, he his side of that he's perfect. Each person exaggerates their side a little bit till the fact that their each side is on their perfection, you know. So this is what it says: you have witnesses. Increase your investigation of the witnesses. That's the basic explanation. But there is another explanation that our rabbis give us. Rabbeinu Yonah and many of our rabbis have said another explanation. There's another explanation. Listen to this. It's beautiful. We have a rule in Judaism if the court already heard witnesses for instance with celebrating the new month we would we rely we used to rely on witnesses until we made a special calendar but we relied on witnesses for a reason there was a reason why we relied on witnesses for the for the moon but we did rely on witnesses to tell us when the new moon came and once the witnesses came what happens if another set of witnesses they went they traveled they went to sea, they went to a far, far up north, they come back and they tell you, hey, we saw the moon, we saw the new moon, but you already just saw two witnesses. You don't need, once you have two, you don't need more. What should you do? Tell them, oh, we've already heard the witness case already. We've already heard the case already. No, according to Judaism, if there was a story where there were two witnesses already came and the, the case has been finished, done, if there's another 10 witnesses that come after, you still listen to those witnesses again. Why? Even if they all say the same thing? Even if they're all saying the same thing and we've already come to the conclusion from the first two. Just in case. Well, they're going to say the same thing. What's the principle? Is it to be fair to people? Participation problems. Somewhat, yes. Because if we say, ah, oh, we've already heard it already, they're never going to bother coming again. They're never going to make the effort again. So we don't say, oh, we heard it already. How does that translate to life? Well, just like in court, and that's a case, court is a real life case, right? That's a real thing. Mm-hmm. Just like in court, will the rabbi, the judge will sit and spend an extra hour listening to the whole case again, even though he knows what, the... all the more so with us in life, even though I know the case, even though I know the story listen to the story again somebody uh, you know, my child comes to the table and says something i know bad dad if i go oh i've heard that already <laughs> you know bad the right thing to do is listen and s- listen as if it's new am i lying no if it's beautiful why wouldn't i want to hear it again there's something special about truth truth is something that can be heard many times if it's not truth But if it's real like if you watch uh, 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 if you watch a story that is sharing a very powerful message like a true message right then you're willing to watch it multiple times or listen or read it multiple times but something that's just fabricate how many times can you how many kind of times can you be in it right there's a limit something which is of truth you can hear it many many times and that's what it says here be careful even if you've heard the witnesses already, listen to them again. So that's the genius of that statement, which applies to so much in life, not only to give people the patience and give them the time, but also to, even if you've heard the case already, listen to it again. And then this rabbi, Shimon Ben Shattach says like this, once you've listened to the case and you've listened a long time, you have another issue. By listening a long time, you're asking a lot of questions. Then the person, that's the witness is going to, listening to your words and he's gonna say oh that's what you're asking you're asking all these questions I want to know I know exactly what you're trying to get to so I'm gonna answer based on what you're saying I'll give you an example let's say you have a business okay and you want to hire someone but you want to know if they're fit for the job so you ask certain questions you can't give off the image of exactly what you want from that person why Because if you give an image of exactly what, then they're going to say, I can do that. Right? They're going to tell you, if you give off exactly the information of what you want, then they're they're just going to say, yeah, that's exactly what I can do. And I'll show you. The idea is, the the way to bring someone in, if you've got the upper hand in any situation, the best thing to do is to to not give off all the information. I'll give you another example. If let's say I'm, I'm donating money, I'm giving a donation, to a special cause. I have a lot of money and I want to donate to a cause. Now, if I give off the image very clearly of what I want to give to the cause and what program, what type of thing I want. So then what's going to happen? Everyone's going to come to me and say, I could do exactly that for you. I'll do exactly that for you. Sometimes it's better to hold back a little bit, not to give off the exact image of what you want so that the person in front of you can really be seen if he's gonna be able to do what you're able to offer. Does that make sense? It's not always good to, be, to give absolute clarity of what you want, if you've got the upper hand, because that way they're gonna take advantage and fit into exactly what you want, which is maybe they're not fitting for it, right? Does that make sense? So for instance, in a business, I, I would say, whether it's in life or in many other areas, I would say that the most important thing is to, you know, you have have somewhat of a job description, but then when you actually, in reality, you want to see how that person will do, you know, give them a chance, give them some time, give them an opportunity, see how they actually do what you want from them. Not just tell them, hey, this is what I want. Can you do it? Well, of course they're going to say, yes, I can do it. But it's also about seeing them in practice, seeing them in theory, not just, uh, not just in theory, but seeing them in practice as well. Are there any questions about this idea? Any thoughts? Okay. I want to continue and tell you some... Yes? thought. Um, sometimes the reason you want multiple witnesses is because the first people were to be honest with you. If you look at uh, Khaled and you know, the spies, when they were going to Israel... There's a lot that lie, you know, the spies are coming back and saying, oh, there's giants and all these things. You know, so I think sometimes you need multiple witnesses too. That's a different case. If you have witnesses that come to falsify the original witnesses, then those witnesses are necessary. That's a different case. Uh, We're talking about witnesses that are coming to say the same thing of witnesses that already were with us. So in that case, we already heard witnesses. It's fine, but we still would spend an entire day or even a lot longer to investigate the new witnesses just to show that no one is pushed aside, right? Even your words are valuable and that should tell us something very powerful about our lives too. You know, a lot of times we hear things from people that we already knew. It takes a sense of humility to sit there as if it's new and show your interest. Yes, it's a sense of, it's a strength, it's a maturity to be able to still listen even though you know the story already. Okay, let's, uh, Okay, I want to move on. I'm going to jump to another beautiful message that's here, and it's mind blowing. The story of Hillel and Shammai. Listen to this. So, remember, I told you that the times of the Talmud or the times of the Pekavot, was the times of Zugot, of pears. And we had two different sets of rabbis in every generation during this time. At the times of the Mishnah, the, there was a section of time during the Talmud of what we're reading. There was Zugot. There was a Av Beit Din, the head of the courts. One rabbi was the head of the courts, and one was the Nasi Yisrael, the head of the Jewish people. Hilal and Shammai was like that too. Hilal was the head of the Nasi Yisrael, the head of the Jewish people, and Shammai was the Av Beit Din, the head of the Jewish courts. Now, how did they get their position? Listen to this. They were the students of Shmaya and aftalion They had before them were another two pairs called Shmaya and aftalion Hillel and Shammai came after them, but the truth is there was another pair that came in between the generation of Shmaya and aftalion and Hillel and Shemai. I hope you guys are following because it's an amazing thing. There was another pair, and they were called the Bnei Betera. This other pair, there was another pair. Of leaders that came before them but they left their job let me tell you the story the Talmud in Pesachim in in Pesach in the story of Passover the Talmud says exactly what happened there was a pair that came before Ilal and Shammai who were they listen to this it was before Passover and this that year before Passover it was Shabbat Erev Pesach was on Shabbat and what happened? They weren't sure what to do with the sacrifice, the lamb that they're going to sacrifice for Passover. Right. They have to every year when they have the temple, they will bring the lamb for Passover. Right? Everyone will bring the Paschal lamb, but they weren't sure that year what to do. Why? Because it was Shabbat, then Passover. And they weren't sure whether you're allowed to offer or bring a lamb just for a Paschal holiday. Can you do that? They're going to eat from the animal. Are you allowed to slaughter? We're not allowed to regular Shabbat slaughter animals. But are you allowed to for the sakes of Passover? that was needed to be eaten the day before Passover. And it happened to be a Shabbat. No one knew the answer. Including the two leaders of the Jewish people. No one knew what to do. And they said, you know who to go to? Go to Hillel. Hillel and Shemai. They were great students of Shemaiah and Avtalion. The Previous rabbis, they were great, great students. Go and ask them. And Hillel was a poor man, he wasn't he was living in a very poor standards. I'll tell you more about his story. He was a very poor man, right? Hillel as I can. Everyone's everyone here has heard of Hillel. You've heard of Hillel, he was a very poor man. So they said, Let's go and ask Hillel, what's the What should we do? And Hillel said that just like the, the daily offering called the Tamid. It says by that offering on its time. So too the Paschal Lamb. The Torah says on its time. It needs to be at the right time. The words are the same. And he says if the words are the same. We have a rule that it's the same. And therefore even before Passover. We'll bring the Paschal Lamb. And we eat the Paschal Lamb together. That's what he said. What happened? These two rabbis before Hillel and Shammai. The Bnei Betera, they said. If that's the case, Hillel and Shammai know more than us. We're going to leave our job. And they left the highest position of the Jewish people. I mean, you've got to understand what this this means. These are like the two greatest giants of the Jewish people. Tremendous knowledge. And they left their job. They said, that's it. We're done. These two people that are young and poor, they're greater than us. They should take our position. And that was the case, Hillel and Shammai took the position of B'nai B'Tera. There's another story of very similar in the Kabbalah, the, in Bet El. There's actually like a movie, which is very similar to this story. In Bet El, which is in Jerusalem, in the old city, there's a, there's a building where all the Kabbalists used to study. Some of the greatest Kabbalists for hundreds of the past hundreds of years. There was one great rabbi who came in from another country. He wasn't living in Israel. He traveled. His name was the Rashash, Rav Shimon Sharabi. A tremendous rabbi. He wrote commentary on the entire Torah. I mean, we're talking about some of the greatest minds, also in Kabbalah, in, in every aspect of, of wisdom. And he would clean, he would clean the place of Bet El. He said, I want a job. He worked there. He would clean the place of Bet El. And one time there was a question that no one could answer, a Kabbalistic question that no one can answer. And the Rashash, Hash, Shimon Sharabi, wrote down the response of the question. He wrote down the response of the question and the rabbi that was the leader of that place saw the response. He said, it can't be that someone knows this so well. It was a fantastic response. Who could it be? They found out who it was. It was the Rashash. Rav Shimon Sharabi, and he left his position and gave his position away. What do we learn from that? We learn the sense of humility, right? The ability for somebody who is at the highest position to say, I don't need the leadership permission just to be a, a title. I want what's truth in the world. And therefore, if I find somebody who's greater than me, in knowledge and could do my position better than me, I'll I'll rather him and I'll leave my position to tremendous giants. Who can do that today? Which kind of person would say, you know what? This person's better than me to be a president. I'm leaving my job, let that person be a president. You think this is gonna happen? Today it's all about titles and leadership. But in the times of our great leaders throughout our history, that wasn't the case, it was exactly the opposite. They left their position. And Hillel, their names are not even known as much. One time in the story that these rabbis have spoken about, Bnei Betera, but the real people that came after them was Hillel and Shammai. This is amazing. Who was Hillel? You heard of Hillel, right? We hear that name all the time. There's many organizations. There's an organization that's called Hillel. Who is Hillel? Let me tell you a little bit about Hillel. Hillel was a poor man. At the age of 40, he came into Israel. He died at 120. At the age of 40, he came into the land of Israel from outside. He lived in Bavo and he moved, he traveled to Israel and he had no money. So what did he do? He started, he became a woodchopper. And to be a woodchopper, trust me, the income is pretty low. There's a lot of wood everywhere. Everyone needs it, but the income is very low. He would make what the Talmud said was one trufik a day, tiny small amount of money. And the Talmud in Shabbat says that every day, at the end of his day of work, he would travel to the, the study hall of Shmaya and Aftalion, the rabbis that came before him, two generations before him. Shmaya and Aftalion, he would sit and study by Shmaya and Aftalion. Were, those were his rabbis. In order to study in this study hall, there wasn't just free food, free tacos, free fruits fruit carts no such thing in those days you want to come into study hall not only did you have to listen to someone speak you had to pay to get in why well the building needs to have upkeep you have to heat the building right there's a lot of work that kept the building going people would pay to come in how much did it cost half a trophic. half the amount that sheila was making a day nothing and what happened what happened let me tell you one day hillel says every day he goes to the class he goes to listen to shiur the, the lectures of the rabbi at the end of his day of work he didn't want to miss a day never there was one thing it says in in, in jewish teaching jewish learning needs to be done every day without fail you have to always try and learn something every day It's one of the basic values of Judaism that we have to learn something every day something new every day our minds need to be learning something new every day so every day he would go to this place at the end of his day of work and one day he'd never made any money he didn't have enough money it would cost half a trophic half of this coin to get in to the study hall at night the security guard at the front will take half half of his income The other half of the income he would use for his family to eat and to survive. He comes knocking at the door. He doesn't have a a coin. They said, I'm sorry, no entry. It was a cold day in Jerusalem. He goes up to the rooftop. He was desperate to hear the teachings, the wisdom. So he goes up to the rooftop and there's like a sunroof. So the next morning, He, he, the rabbis, Shmayan and throughout the day, they're looking, they say, it's so dark in here. What's going on? It's dark. Why is the light not coming through the sunroof? Eventually, they look up, and they realize that there's a figure of a human being. it's covered. There wasn't a see-through sunroof, but they see a figure of a human. They say, no, what's going on? They go up there. There was snow. They remove the snow, and they find Hillel unconscious. He lost consciousness and already Shabbat was starting they bring him down they light a fire and they put him next to the fire they even on Shabbat even though we keep Shabbat you're allowed to break Shabbat in order to save someone's life they lit the fire they put him next to the fire, and they started heating him up and they said it's worthy to break Shabbat for this uh, for this great Rabbi Hillel so that's who Hillel was dedication to study is he a rabbi at that point or still just a student? Well, we would, he would consider himself a student. What's a rabbi? A teacher. Meaning taking on the position. I missed uh, another study. Yeah, yeah. I missed another study that says hate leadership. Hate being a rabbi. Hate any form of authority. Love the work, but hate the, the titles. There's another statement that we missed maybe we'll study another time but it says hate this t- title a person should always aim to work never to be at the top what's the point you be at the top then you get lazy and you don't work a person should always love the job itself and not the aim not to aim for the title at the top that mean, that doesn't mean that if there's no one else to do it that you shouldn't do it but just know that that's not the ideal place to be the ideal place to be is that you're not bored that you're still working Or that you're not in a place of authority just for the sake of authority. It's the worst thing for somebody. Okay, anyway, so Hillel was studying. That's all he wanted. He gets pulled down and they save him. But I'm going to tell you another story about Hillel. Not only was he a man that put his time to study Torah, but he was also a man of humility. It says that a person, Hillel and Shammai, were the two leaders of the Jewish people. Hillel was the leader of the Jewish people. Shammai was the leader of the courts. They used to argue a lot, not argue in terms of fighting, but argue in study, in the way of thinking. It says a person should always be humble like Hillel and not particular like Shammai. <inaudible> a person should always be humble like Hillel and not a kapdan <inaudible> kishamai. Why? Who was Shammai? They both were good people. Shammai was also good. He just stood for truth. If someone came to him and was not being truthful, I don't want to talk to you. He was very strict. He stood up for truth. Hilal, even though he stood up for truth, he also did it in a very soft manner. Yeah, the ability to do it in a very soft manner. Listen to this. So it says, a person, this, I'm reading the Talmud, it says like this in the Talmud in Shabbat. A person should always be humble like Hilal and not like Shammai. Why? There's a story of two people that they were arguing. They were talking about the leader of the Jewish people. You know, like today, everyone talks about the president or the leader, right? So they were discussing. And one said to the other, you don't know? This Hillel is the most humble rabbi of all history. There's no one humble like him. So the other one says, yeah, right. No such thing. I tell you that... We're all human beings. Human beings also can get annoyed. What do you mean? He's humble. He can never get upset. He can never get frustrated. He can never get angry. Of course he can. He's human like everyone else. So what did the other one do? He says, listen, he's so humble and willing to put a bet. Al-Ban 400 coins. Expensive amount of money. Thousands of dollars of today. Bitcoins, let's say. 400 bitcoins. I put down that you'll never be able to make him angry. You'll never be able to make him angry. So what did he he say? He says, "What, really? That much money? Of course, he's human. I'm going to do it. Done. Let's play the bet. I'm going to do it." So he says, "When's the busiest time for the Jewish people? When do you think it's the busiest time of the week?" Just before Shabbat. I was about to say Rosh Hashanah. Well, that's (laughs) true, but during the week. That's why I said every week. So during the week, just before Shabbat. Before Shabbat, Hillel would go into the bathhouse, He would wash himself, and he'd come out. Not long before Shabbat, it says that you should always, for Shabbat, you don't shower in the morning for Shabbat, you shower just before Shabbat, you know, you get fresh, feel good, Ah, eat the challah, have the wine, you eat good, you drink good, you dress good, you smell good, right? And that's it. So Hillel was in, uh, Hillel was in, in his uh, uh, in the bathhouse, he said, "That's the time that I'm going to go half an hour before Shabbat and drive him crazy." So he goes. This guy he goes running to the house of Hillel, where he lived, <coughs> and he starts screaming at the top of his lungs, "Mikan Hillel! Is Hillel here? Is Hillel here? This is the leader of the Jewish people. You know, you call him a rabbi. You know, something. Hillel is he here? Is he here?" And he screams at the top of his lungs. Obviously, Hillel's hearing. He's in the bathhouse. He's hearing someone screaming at the top of his lungs. What's he going to do? He says to himself, wait a second. Obviously, he's desperate. He's desperate. He didn't say to himself, hey, he's ruining. He's he's not speaking to me nicely. Why is he screaming like that? It must be something's important. Immediately, he puts on his, his cloak, his robe, and he comes out. And he says, it's me. I am Hillel. And he, the language of the, of the Gemara, of the Talmud, constantly he says the word Bani, my son. My son, I'm here. I'm here, my son. So he says to him like this, listen to this. He says like this, I have a question to ask you. you Hilal? Yes, I'm Hilal, my son. He says, I have a question. He says, ask, my son. Ask, whatever you want. Why is it that the eyes of the tarmudiyin Tarutot. They're wider than normal. Okay? Wait. Before you jump. Okay? Why is it that the Tarmudian people, they are people that lived in Syria, certain part of Syria back then. Why are their eyes wider? He says to him, Do you think I have time to answer questions? Racist questions also at the same time? Ah. What the heck is going on? He says to him, Bani, my son. She'la gedola shalta." You're asking a great question with all seriousness. And he says, each person adapts to the environment. In that place, there's a lot of sands. And in order to adapt to the environment, that's how things, that's how people live. That's how they, their body is. This person, Hilal goes back in to the bathhouse and that's it, done. This guy waits another few moments and then starts screaming again. Mi hilal? Mi hilal? 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 He starts screaming. Again, Hilal's hearing the guys. What can it be? He puts on his cloak. He comes back out and he says, My son, my son, what, what, what do you want? He says to him, I have a great question to ask. He says to him, Okay, ask the question, my son. Ask it. So he says, I'm sorry if this offends anyone. But he says like this, Why is it that the feet... Of the people that live in Africa are wider. He says to him in response, my son a good question you're asking. And he says, they live in a lot of marshlands. It's harder to walk there. And in order to adapt to that environment, that's how people have to, that's how that's how people became. So he asks him another question, another question eventually he says to him rabbi he sees how calm he is even minutes before shabbat he's he so calm he says to him <laughs> i've got many more questions to ask rabbi I have many more but i'm scared maybe you're going to get upset with me you know he saw that he was so rude asking him all these questions maybe you're going to get upset with me the rabbi made sure he looks more comfortable and he sat down next to him it says like this: He wrapped himself, made himself more comfortable and dressed better, and he sat down in front of him, he says, "I'm here for you." my son, what do you want?" Hey, look at this. He says to him like this, "Any questions that you have to ask, please ask me." Anything you want in the world. Do you have any questions? Please ask me. So he looks at him and he says, "Amalo." he says back to him, are you Hillel that everyone calls the leader of the Jewish people? He says, yes, I am Hillel. He says back to him, if, if you are Hillel, there should be no one like you ever again. He says, why? But look how he answers him. ma? my son, why would he ask such a question? He never said, what do you mean? How dare you? I've given you all my time. I've sat with you. No, my son, why are you asking this question? And he says, because of you, I lost 400 bitcoins. Right. <laughs> so he says to him, be calm, my son. zahir Please be calm. It's worth it for Hilal to lose 400 zoos and another 400 zoos. On your account but as long as Hillel doesn't get angry it's worth it for me to lose another 400 for somebody to lose on my behalf 400 and another 400 as much as I care about people it's worth it for you to lose 400 and another 400 as long as I never get angry that was his that was the story of Hillel the rabbis say a person should always be humble like Hillel what does that mean that no matter what question people ask you, even if you're the greatest of the great, the expectations are very high. You give the person the time of the day. By the way, that teaches me this Talmud teaches me another lesson, right? The concept of evolution. Although we believe in evolution, right? We do believe in evolution, but on a micro level. For sure, on a micro level, which means that humans are able, in order to survive, it's a form of mechanism, of survival mechanism, or or adaptation that we adapt to our environment it's, it's also a very powerful message that if our bodies actually change based on our environment over time how important is it to make sure that we're in a good environment right not just i'm, I'm not just talking about physically i'm talking about spiritually if we adapt so our bodies actually change over time based on the high environment that we're in imagine what that says about us spiritually how much more in our minds our mental health a person must make sure that he's in a good environment, like being around someone like Hillel. But we see the greatness of Hillel. So anyway, this is, this is what Hillel and Shammai taught. This is the words of Hillel. He says like this, and we'll finish with this. He says, be a student of Aaron. Remember Moses in the Torah and the Bible, you got Moses and Aaron. He says, be a student of Aaron. Who was the student of Aaron. Ohev Shalom, somebody who loved peace. Rodev Shalom, chased after peace. Ohev vetabriyot, he loved human beings. He loved all creations. Karvan LaTorah, and brought them close to Torah. So there were multiple things. First, Ohev Shalom, love peace. What does that mean? Only first you love, then you can pursue. What does it mean that you love something? Not only that you expand yourself so it's part of the other, but you're willing to sacrifice something for the other. That's already another level of love. Love is when it's it's so strong that you're willing to sacrifice something for the other. You see, pursuing peace is not just in theory, but it starts from within. It needs to be so strong from within that you're willing to sacrifice your own sense of embarrassment for the sake of... Of making Shalom not by embarrassing somebody else we're gonna see how who was Aaron and who was Hillel We just learned Hillel was the man who was really a student of Aaron. He was a man of humility So who was Aaron? It says that when Aaron died Everyone cried much more than when other when Moses died much more than when everyone else passed away when Aaron died It was the greatest sorrow for the Jewish people It says that when it was his funeral over 80,000 young people accompanied him in the funeral with the same name as Aharon. Even during his lifetime, they took on his name. Which, by the way, is one of the proofs that in Judaism, we're not against calling somebody after his name, even whilst he's alive. Even though in the Ashkenazic community, they don't do that. Right. There's other reasons for that. But actually, halakhically, there's not... throughout the Torah, we see many more, many examples of this. This is one of them. Wait, so there 80, in the funeral there were thousands, there were millions of people 80,000 80, people were named Aaron following his, his following him in the funeral itself all these people were named after him why do you name a child after somebody because you like them or because you hate them right because you like them you want to learn from them you value that person so much that you want your child to be called that name that's, that's how great Aaron was why was he so great? He loved all creations. He loved peace and pursued peace. What does that mean? So let, this is what the rabbis tell us. That he was willing to sacrifice himself. What does that mean? The, 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 the Talmud gives examples. Let me tell you what he did. And this applies to many areas of life as well. And, and we'll finish with that. How do you love peace? What does that mean? This is what he would do. when he would see that there was an argument going on between two people. Dispute. He would wait. First of all, we're going to learn later on. When somebody's in an argument or someone's angry, don't look at them. There's certain times, we're going to learn later on, like someone's dealing with money. Hey, yo, what's up, dude? Right? That's not the time. You know? He's, there's certain times where you don't look at people, you don't talk to them. One of them is when there's an argument. When there's a real dispute going on, unless someone's getting hurt physically, and there's a different story and you're able to stop them. It's a different story. But when there's a real dispute going on, at the time of the argument, keep out. Afterwards, you can maybe help. If you feel like you can help, like Aharon, then do it. But in the time of the argument, you keep out. Also, it says that as much as it's important to tell something that's good for someone to do, as much as it's important to improve people, right? To rebuke is a good value at times. It's only if that person you know will listen to you. But if you know that person will not listen to you, it's also a mitzvah to not say anything. It's a good deed to be quiet as much as it's a good deed to say something. So listen to this. What was Aaron? Who was he? How did he pursue peace? Not by running around with a big sign saying peace, peace, peace. He lived by it. What did he do? He would see an argument, a dispute and he would wait. After a few days, he'd go to one of them. And he'd say, "You don't know. You know that other guy that you had an argument with. He's so upset about it. He's broken that he got an argument with you. Deep down, behind the scenes, he just doesn't know how to deal with it. But behind the behind the scenes, he loves you. He really does. He doesn't. He knows that this whole thing was wrong, and he didn't want it. And inside him, he didn't want this argument. I know it. He is." in all aspects he wants to get back to normal again but it's just he doesn't know how to it's he got into the dispute so the other guy says oh really that's true i never knew you know what i also feel that way i also don't feel like i can have an argument with that guy you know he is good it was a, it was something that didn't work out at that time but you know what at the end of the day i do get along with him he hears the minute he hears that guy say that he'll go to the other person they say you don't know what he told me you don't know what the other guy told me he just told me that he would he wishes he would never have this argument with you he really loves you and eventually these guys will meet with each other and they'll be friends again and he was a person who would bring shalom into the jewish people go from one person like that to the other positive environment how does it take what was he he was Shalom. he loved peace so much That he was willing to sacrifice his own sense of shyness embarrassment in order to make sure there was peace between them well how does this translate to life besides for making peace with with people well there are areas in life where you will get I'll give you an example parents-in-law (laughs) oh how many how many arguments in couples right in relationships come because of in-laws the mother-in-law's annoying me, and uh, right your mother. I don't know. I'm not married yet. I know, but one day I'm just. <laughs> one day, when Bezatashem Hashem you are, everyone say Amen. When Omri gets married to the right soulmate, his beautiful soulmate, and everyone else that does, uh, you'll meet this person, and the, the other side has parents that might be annoying you. It's a very, very. Common case, you don't live with them anymore, but they say something and you're not sure and there's arguments, the mother-in-law with the daughter-in-law. It's not very comfortable. This is a lot of times, a lot of cases that there could be arguments, nothing to do with a couple, but they're getting into a serious argument because of the in-laws. So what do you do? How do you fix it? You don't say, oh, they don't really mean it. My mom didn't mean it, right? Let's say it's the her, her mother-in-law. So she goes to her husband and she says, "Your mother's driving me mad." So what does he say? "Um, oh, don't worry, my mum didn't mean it. She doesn't really talk like that." She doesn't work. What do you mean? She did. She was rude to me. Doesn't work. What do you do? How do you fix it? You say, "You know what? Let me, let me, let me speak to her." You go to her house. You go to your back to your mum's house. You say, "Hey, mum, not seen you in a while. How's it going?" You know. You must have prayed, you must have done something because my wife is incredible. She's unbelievable. My wife is amazing. She does this. She's so kind. She's so loving. You should see how much she loves everybody. Start praising your wife in front of your mother. in Wow, ah, she's, she's... And then... Is that a good tactic in general? Yes. If someone's mad at someone else, you start <laughs> like... You start like only praising that person in front of them and like... For sure. Positive. For sure. A very good tactic. I do it all the time. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> but, so that, but anyway, so he goes. You go to the mother. No, you, he goes to his mother. He says, "Mom, you don't know my wife is unbelievable. No one does that enough, but that's the way. My mom, my wife is incredible." She says, "You know, I've seen. She is amazing. She's what's she gonna say? I hate her?" She says, "You know, she is amazing. She's brilliant. She is. She's so. I really, you know, she does speak so nicely. The minute he hears that, well, uh, he goes in his car. He runs back." To his wife, he says, my dear, you don't know, I just wasn't by my mom, you don't know what she says about you. She said that you're amazing and you're so beautiful and you're so smart, genius. And eventually, each one of you, she, she says, your wife starts saying, oh, you know, she re, your mom is amazing. She really is so nice and it brings, I have happened to him. It brings love between them. And that's how we do it, whether it's in any kind of thoughts between another person we have these speculations in our mind if you're the person that's the middle ground that's able to break those speculations by saying that they you know that person they really they spoke so kindly of you you go to the other one they're unbelievable You should have seen what they said about you and eventually you'll build love around you build love for the people around you now before you ask me a question there is a thought how can this be honest? Was that you going to ask? Yeah, basically. This is manipulation. It's manipulation. It's God like, Him. It's like white lies, kind of. In Judaism, there's certain times where it's good to twist the truth a little bit for the sake, and one of them is for the sake of peace. <laughs> it's actually no. good to twist the, twist the truth for the sake of peace. How do we know? Because right. God does it Himself. In the Torah, we're taught that God Himself does it. And therefore, one of the greatest values of Judaism is as much as shalom is a godly value. And as much as truth is a godly value, we want them both to come together. And therefore, we don't actually lie out straight away. But we, we, sh- we bring out the love that that person has for the other. And then we express it to the other one. Yes? How does God lie to us? So, I mean, God. we don't speak to God right now, right? We're not prophets or anything. But there is a story in the Torah. And it's a fascinating story of uh, Sarah Abram and Sarah I spoke about this a few weeks ago Abram is a hundred years old and he's waiting to have a baby and Sarah's 99 years old and they're waiting they never had a child it's kind of late right they ain't gonna have kids at 99 so what happens they get told through angels Okay, believe the story or not, listen to the story. At least get the message of the story, please. So the angels are coming and they tell them, this time next year, you're going ch- uh, to have a son. They tell Abraham, Sarah is in the other room and she hears, she starts laughing at, this body is going to have a child? How can that be? I'm, I'm old. I don't have a cycle anymore. And my husband is also old. How can it be? My husband's also old. He's 100 years old. We can't have kids. So she starts laughing. Later on in the Torah, the story is that God comes to Abraham in a prophecy, and he says to him, Why is Sarah laughing? Why is Sarah laughing laughing saying that I can't have kids and that I am old? God didn't say that she said, and my husband is old. She only said, I am old. When God came, He said, Why did she say, I am old? Not, Why did she say, I am old and my husband's old? Because that would have caused arguments between Abram and Sarah. Even if it's true? Even if it's true that she said, My husband is old, in order to avoid the arguments between Abram and Sarah, when God gave a prophecy, He didn't say what Sarah actually really said. Sarah really said, my husband's old, but God didn't want to say that because that would cause an argument between husband and wife. Um, We have a rule. We could change the language a little bit for the sake of peace. For the sake of peace, we could change the language. We don't have to actually lie if we can avoid it, but we could change the language. So let's say there's two people that has an argument if you know that a, that person is a good person. So you say, you know, deep down, I see that he really regrets it. He wants this. So even though it's, you know, it's not an outright lie, but it's Bnei shalom. We could change the language for the sake of peace. And this is brought down multiple places in the Torah. We see it also with Joseph, multiple places. That, because peace is also a value. It's a big question. When you have two values conflicting, which one do you stand for? And that's why we need we need a higher guidance to tell us you've got truth fighting against peace which one do you choose you've got unity fighting against the sense of individuality which one do you choose right communism versus uh, um, capitalism right both are saying good things which one do you choose huh in one way we want people to have their own life and on the other way, we want everyone to be together and unified and people should help each other. So how do you have a middle ground? You know what the answer is? We don't have a middle ground today. We don't. But there's a way. There's a way. If you bring God into your life, you can find a middle ground. And that's the idea. You know, we have truth, but we also have peace. These are two values. One is when they conflict. There's certain times where you can change the truth for the sake of peace. Yeah. <clears throat> I just think that maybe it would be more worthwhile to aspire for truth because it's objective, whereas peace is subjective, right? People can just assume something about what peace means to them and then project it onto others, whereas truth is uniform. Right, but isn't the oneness of all also part of that truth? The fact that we all come from one source. We say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokein wa Echad. The word Shalom means one, Shalem, complete. When we are not unified, we are somewhat incomplete. So although you may see truth as an objective concept as opposed to Shalom, but Shalom is also as objective as truth because it's the sense of godliness in a way. Like at the end of the day, God is infinite. And we understand that we're all part of that one. So in this world, because it's a finite world and everything seems separated, but really from a Jewish perspective, we're all unified in in a certain sense. And we have to bring that unity. That's That's our point in this world is to bring ourselves with different energies together. Unity is a very important aspect of Judaism as well. Right? there's there's a lot to think about in in that and it's beautiful what you're saying truth does seem to be more objective but I would argue that peace is as objective right because it also comes from that oneness there's more there's more but you know that's that's what I can say anyone else questions ideas thoughts alright so uh, I think that was fun thank you thank you